Good morning. What a beautiful day it is. I love this time of year. I was raised where there really wasn't but two and a half, one and a half seasons. It was hot and humid, and two weeks out of the year it was cold and wet, and that's it. So I love the seasons. It's very nice. Thank you for being here. If you consider yourself a visitor, we want to especially welcome you. You are our honored guest. I hope you'll find that the things that we do here are accordance to God's will and follow after the examples that we find in the New Testament about the early church. Hopefully you'll find the things that I have to say are based upon the scriptures and that we can study them together. I want to speak some this morning about Jonah. There's, there's lots of lessons that you can give about Jonah. First of all, Jonah's only mentioned one other time in the Old Testament, and that's where he was the prophet in the time of Jeroboam. Now, the scriptures say that Jeroboam was a very wicked king, but God wanted to protect the children of Israel, it said, and so he allowed Jeroboam, Jeroboam to war against the nations around Israel and spread the nation out, and the nation became much larger than it was before Jeroboam became king. But he was an evil king, and in that time there was Jonah. And the scriptures say that Jonah prophesied or told Jeroboam what to do, and Jeroboam did it. And therefore the, the children of Israel prospered because they, they did what God told Jonah to tell Jeroboam to do. And even though Jeroboam was a wicked king, he listened to Jonah and he did what God wanted him to do. That brings us to Jonah, it's all about me. Now I have a preface this morning that it's human nature that it's all about me. If you got a two-month-old baby and they're hungry, they don't care if you got a headache. They don't care if you're busy. They don't care if the boss is on the phone. You're going to feed that baby because it's all about him, and that's all he knows. I always like the terrible twos. The terrible twos, if they don't get their way, they get out on the floor and they work around in a circle and scream and holler and beat their hands on the ground because it's all about me. Well, you'd think we'd grow out of that. Well, in general, in the world, we don't. Because it's all about me. What's it in for me? What's good for me? What do I get out of it? Why does he have something better that I don't have? But you and I as Christians are called to a higher level. And that level is not one of selfishness where it's all of me, but of selflessness where it is to serve others. And we are to get above the idea that it's all of me Instead, we need to do what God wants us to do and what his son has told us to do. And we're going to start here in Jonah and talk about him. As Warren read to us this morning, Jonah thought he could get away from God. Now, it doesn't say in the scriptures why he really wanted to run. I'm presuming it's because God told him to go to Nineveh, a wicked city so wicked that God was going to destroy it, and Jonah, he told Jonah to go tell him he was going to destroy it. And here's a Hebrew, an Israelite, going over to a pagan country, uh, city and walking in there saying, you guys have got to quit it. So Jonah was probably scared. That's my guess. But he decided that he would run to Tarshish. Tarshish is part of Spain or is in Spain. And so all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, as far as he could get away from 
from Jerusalem. He was headed that direction to get away from Israel. Now, you would think that a prophet like Jonah would know better that he could escape from God. But God is everywhere. You find that the psalmist said in 139, whether I, I go from, whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere. Now, there are people in the world that profess that there is no God. And the scriptures are very plain when it says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You can ignore God. You can believe that God doesn't exist. But you're fooling yourself because God is everywhere. In the second chapter there of Jonah, starting the third verse, Jonah pleads out his case. He says, from thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Even then, Jonah said, I am in the middle of this uh, fish, and I'm way down at the bottom of the ocean. Surely I'm not where you are. Yet, I will look again towards the holy temple. He said, you know, it came to me that it doesn't make any difference where I'm at. God's there. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul, and the depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought me my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Jonah was taught a lesson. He was swallowed by this fish. And even though he was in the ocean and he was down to the bottom of the sea, he, he realized that God is there. He is everywhere. Now, if you continue reading there in the second chapter, Jonah, the last verse, it talks about how God had the fish go to the shore and vomit Jonah up. Now, I don't know about you, but two hours later, I'd still be showering and scrubbing to be thrown up from a fish. But God taught Jonah a lesson there that you can't escape from me and you need to do what I want you to do. And the word came unto the Lord, came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto them it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. He cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, again, the scriptures really don't tell us, but... Jonah wasn't going there to preach to them that if you change your mind, if you change your ways, God will save you. He wasn't preaching. He said, you go and you repent and God will say, no, he said, you're going to die in 40 days. This city is going to be wiped out. It wasn't a deal of there is a way for salvation. It wasn't a, a deal that if you do something different, then God won't wipe you out. What Jonah was told to tell the people were, you're going to die in 40 days because of your evil and wickedness. But you know what? I wish I was a preacher like Jonah. Jonah went into a 
an, an idolatrous community and spoke to them that they were going to die by the hand of God. And I don't know what he told them. And obviously, God put words in his mouth of what it was. But what a preacher. You know what? He made such an impression upon those people that the word came into the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and set in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the, of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Jonah did not promise them that they turned, but God would save them. No, he said, you're going to die. And that's what he preached. But it was so potent that the king said, everyone is going to fast. Even the animals are not going to drink or eat. And hopefully God will change his way if we change from our evil way. And Jonah 3 and 10 said, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Boy, wouldn't that make Jonah happy? Jonah be thrilled. These people aren't going to die. God has changed his mind, but no, that's not what happened. It's all about me again. Because what happened when, when Jonah listened to God and found out that God was not going to kill these people? And it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Why? Well, you've destroyed my reputation. I came in there as, as the prophet of God, and I said, all of you are going to die, and now you're not going to die. What am I? They're going to look at me like, what a stupid guy that was. It was destroying his reputation and what he thought ought to happen. He didn't care about those people. He was just caring about himself. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance thee of evil. He said, I knew that's what you were going to do, God, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it, and I tried to get away, and you wouldn't let me. He wasn't very happy. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I didn't get my way and you didn't do to these people what I told them you were going to do and it's just, I don't know what to do about it. I want to die. God said, dost thou well to be angry? It's sort of the old King James, but why are you angry? Do you have any right to be mad? What's going on here, Jonah? Well, Jonah went out to the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and set under it in the shadow till he might see what would come of the city. He was going to see and what was going to happen. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. I think this is really interesting. God made, it says in the night, a gourd. And this gourd grew fast enough and big enough that it shaded a man in one day. What a miracle was that? And what did Jonah think? Boy, I'm glad I'm in the shade. He didn't even care. And then, of course, that night, God prepared a worm, and the worm ate the gourd, and the gourd was gone, and so he wasn't there to shade him anymore. 
And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished to himself to die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. He likes dying. And God said to Jonah, dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? Why are you mad about the gourd? And he said, I do well anger even unto death. Then said the Lord, that's pity on the gourd. For the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand people, a hundred and twenty thousand people? He said, you know, why, first of all, why are you angry, Jonah? You didn't make the gourd. And the gourd went away. It wasn't there to begin with. And now you want me to destroy this city because of your own pride and your own selfishness. And these are people, 120,000 people, that need guidance. In the New Testament, we find an account here where Jesus, there in Matthew 23... It says, then Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying that the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not after ye after their works, for they do, they say, and do not. The religious world in the time of Jesus, and it's probably been that way all through history, but in the time of Jesus, these men thought they were better than everybody else. These scribes and these Pharisees, it says that the Pharisees wore long coats with long sleeves that came down. My understanding is they had tassels on the end of them, so when they walked, they swished. They made a sound so that you would know they're coming, and you know they were great, and you know where they were because they were dressed to the hilt. We call it dressed to the nines. They prayed in the synagogue out loud so everybody would look and say, look, how righteous these people are how good these people are they pray to God out loud what were they doing it was all about them it was all about me and Jesus recognized that and he said what the Pharisees and scribes tell you to do is correct because it's in the scriptures but don't do it like they do it it isn't all about me in Luke 18, and he spake the parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. If you were here Wednesday night, uh, Ian spoke, and one of the things he did was define righteousness, and righteousness as his def definition was one who has no sin. Well, the scribes and Pharisees thought that they could please God and thought that they could be righteous in their own light because they kept the law to the letter. We know they couldn't, but they thought they did. But they trusted in themselves and they trusted in their righteousness and they thought everybody else, they despised them. They thought everybody else was lower than them. If you remember that parable, it says two men went to, to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes unto all that I possess. Look at me, God. I am righteous. Look at me. 
and I'm not like this publican. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. He said, don't do like the Pharisees and scribes do. Do what they tell you to do, but don't act like them. It isn't about you. It's really not about me. It's not, and it's not about you. Look what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. For though I would desire to glory, although I would really like to be glorified in myself, I shall not be a fool, said I'm not going to do that. For I will say the truth, but not, now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above of which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Scholars have studied and debated what this thorn of the flesh is. It's not important. Why was it there? He said it was there so that I would not be, I would not think of myself more than I should. One of the things about the Apostle Paul, we don't, we don't see this of the other apostles. It doesn't mean it wasn't there. But look what God said about, that did for Apostle Paul in Acts 19 and 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. The power of God was so strong in Paul that people would just take his handkerchief and take it home and the sick would be healed or an apron, a piece of his clothing. Can you imagine how that could bring you a big heart of pride that could make it, it's, it's all about me? Look at what I can do for God. And Paul said, yeah, I could glory, but I don't want to be the fool because it really isn't about me. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung or waste that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Trying to become righteous strictly by following the letter of the law was not going to happen. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering being more conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead." You know what Paul was saying? He says, first of all, I'm not going to make it to heaven on my own righteousness, but it's through the faith in Jesus Christ that I may know him and the power of his resurrection so that by any means possible, I can enjoy in that. I can be part of that resurrection of the dead. It wasn't about Paul. It was about the Christ. It wasn't about the power that was given to him, but what God had done through grace and through his son who sacrificed himself on the cross. You remember the count where Jesus took off his outer 
outer coat, wrapped a towel around his waist, got a bucket of water, and washed the disciples' feet. It says here that after he'd washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord. And you say, Well, for so am I. So I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. He says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is no greater than his Lord, neither that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye that you do them. Jesus was teaching his disciples that you're not Lord. Teaching his disciples that you aren't the leaders, you are the servants. You are to serve mankind by bringing them to me. And he said, you're not, as, you're not as great as I am. And if I can do this, if I can wash your feet and serve you, then you can wash others' feet and serve them. Because it's not about me. Instead, it's all about the Father and the Son. That's what it's about. Mankind is, is destined to either do God's will or not. Ecclesiastes said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You know, I can become famous, probably won't. I can become rich, and I'm sure that's not going to happen. You can become president of the United States. You can become a great actor or actress. What good does it do you if you don't fear God and keep his commandments? For that's our duty. At the end, what counts is what God sees in us and what God has done with us and what we've allowed him to do with us. But we are all as unclean things and all our, our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind ta hath taken us away. Our sins have removed us from God. And we can't rely on our righteousness. We have to rely on his. I want, to do, want you to think a little bit. I've got an example here. If I called you up here and said, okay, what I want you to do is come up here and I want you to do a standing broad jump. We're going to see who can do the biggest standing broad jump. Well, who would, who would you guess in this congregation that could do that? Us old guys probably wouldn't even try, okay? But maybe uh, Riley, maybe Van. You'd think, yeah, all right, but you know what? I'm going to bet on these ladies over here. These young women have all legs and they're in shape. So I bet you when they spring, they can spring. That's who I'm saying is going to make it. But you know what? We had a man come in the door at the back, and he said, you know, I've got a really simple uh, challenge for you, and if you do it, I'll give you a million dollars. Really easy. All you have to do is stand here and do a standing broad jump and touch that back wall before your feet touch the ground. How many of us would try that? Would you work for years? doing exercises, lifting weights, and getting ready, and make that leap? Well, you know who would win? Jackie Bo. Because I'd get Jackie Bo up here, and I'd tell him the secret. The secret would be to bring his dad up here, have him jump on his back, and Justin would carry him back there, and he'd touch the wall. 
and he would win. For you and I, in our worldly life, in our Christian endeavors, we can't jump and touch the wall. But Jesus can carry us, and he does. We need to understand that without him, we can't get there. Ephesians 2 and 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead to sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. God sent his son to die on the cross to show us his kindness, to show us his grace. We need to accept it. We need to take it. We need to do it. You think Jack, Jackie Bowe Jackie Bo would have any right to boast of what he did? No. If anybody had to boast, it would be Justin because he carried him back there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Those Pharisees and scribes thought if they worked really hard and they stuck to the law and they did the law, they would be above everybody else, and everybody else they despised because they weren't doing it. It didn't work that way. It's not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Does it mean that we shouldn't do good works? No. But do we think the works are going to save us? It shouldn't think that. For it's Christ and God that it's Christ. God saves us through Christ. I'll get it right here in a minute. And finally, you and I don't need to think it's all about us. Instead, it's all about Christ as Christians. I am crucified with Christ. But you know what? I live. It's not me that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. In the life which I now live, because I'm a Christian, I live by the faith of the Son of God because I believe in him and I believe he will do what he says he will do who loved me and gave himself for me. It's really not about me. It's about the Father and the Son and our obedience to what they want us to do. That's the lesson of the morning. If there's someone that is subject to the gospel call, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, confess him before men, repent of your sins, and have them washed away. You know, all of that's faith. That water doesn't do anything except God says it does. And it cleanses of our sins. If there's someone subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing a couple of verses of the song selected.